welcome to the July edition of BBRO Beatcast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and knowledge exchange manager for BBRO. It looks like most of the region has now had some rain and the crop is surging ahead. And with that in mind, we want to ensure that that canopy stays nice and healthy. So we are this month discussing foliar diseases and fungicide programs. And for once, we have some good news for you. Let's catch up with Mark, Simon and a special guest. So this month, we're going to be talking about managing foliar diseases and our fungicide programmes. And I'm very pleased to be joined by three um, guests this month that we've got Professor Mark Stevens, Dr. Simon Bowen, and a very special guest. We have Ian Ford, who's a business development manager for BASF. So welcome along, everybody. Uh, obviously, July started the, the hot summer sun. We've seen quite a bit in um, June already. And certainly for most of the eastern region, we've just had a little bit of rain. So let me pick up with you first, Mark. Does the weather make a difference as to what foliar diseases we are likely to be seeing in the crop this year? Uh, many thanks, Chairs, uh, and uh, hello everyone for listening on the, the latest podcast. Uh, clearly, with regard to weather, it has a massive impact when it comes to foliar diseases. And it's not just this particular moment that's critical. We know for the crop this year because of the rain that we had in uh, March and April. Some crops are later. Uh, and so it's all about growth stage 39 that's quite important for decision making when it comes to fungicides. So we just need to make sure that crops are at the right growth stage, although clearly given some of the heat we've had and some have had some quite uh, large amounts of rainfall in recent weeks, although some have missed it, that will have a consequence on crop development. But also then, like the question you've asked, Chairs, the diseases that we're trying to tackle. So let's start with our more traditional disease that probably springs to mind first, and that's powdery mildew. Powdery mildew is a disease that likes it warm or even hot and dry and uh, survives on leaf trash and any sort of root remnants and groundkeepers from the season before. Uh, and if it continues dry and warm through July uh, into early August, then powdery mildew will probably start to show in, in crops and it will be uh, also uh, important to check varieties that are more susceptible to powdery mildew than others as your sort of uh, key lead. But uh, we anticipate the potential around the, about the middle of July, probably in the berry factory area first, then moving northwards. Remember, it's that one that produces that sort of uh, white mould on, on the surface of the leaf. So when you talk about being in berry area, why do you pick a berry? Is that because it's been a rather prominent disease there in the past? It historically is uh, seen in that area. It's often like slightly warmer. It then encourages development, particularly on the coastal area. I often see it in Essex first, and then into the, you know the wider Berry area before you go into County Whistington. And often it's last to see in the Newark area. It's a bit like aphids uh, over time as well. You tend to see a sort of a migration or a movement from south to north. Although clearly with the warmth we've been experiencing, uh, that may not be as uh, as clear cut as it has been. But I, I would encourage anybody to start checking crops from the middle of July. And that will be the number one disease. The other traditional disease that we are probably going to have to keep an eye on it is rust. But rust, uh, if you take last year into consideration, although it came in, 
it came in relatively late because rust does not like dry conditions. It likes that moisture uh, and slightly cooler conditions. So higher temperatures suppress rust activity. And so it's probably going to be September, October before we see that, although never say never. But the disease that we really do need to keep a close eye on uh, is the disease that we've been flagging within BBRO over recent uh, years, and that's Socospora. The disease that causes major problems elsewhere in Northwest Europe uh, with the climate favouring it and also in North America. But as we get warmer, wetter summers, then Socospora as we certainly saw in 2020 uh, on the back of the virus yellows epidemic and then the conditions favoured it is one we need to watch. As we've had quite an issue with Socospora in 2020, does that mean there's a lot more spores around? Could, could that actually increase um, Socospora in the forthcoming years? Socospora can survive down to about minus 30, minus 40. So once it's established, then uh, it, it's there. It survives on, on, on beet trash, uh, again, root remnants. The reason why BBRO continually put messaging out about crop hygiene, it's not just aphids, it's not virus yellows, it's not down in mildew, it's also powder mildew, rust and succospora. Really, really, really important. I cannot stress enough about the significance of crop hygiene going forward. And succospora is just another disease that if you provide the green bridge, you've got a headache. And as we get these conditions, you know, cold weather will not take it out it, uh, and it will survive. And if the conditions enable it to start to germinate or the spores start to migrate, the pressure will start to develop on the crop. So, yeah, as we go through July, we do really need to closely keep an eye on the weather forecast and the maps that the BBOO will issue through the bulletins. And we have actually seen quite a lot of it um, in America, haven't we? I know Alistair went over and um, has actually been looking at quite a lot of the programmes that they've been using. And it completely devastates the whole canopy, doesn't it? So uh, it's very, not... Very much so. Yeah, so it's not just the fact that we have Socospora, it's reducing all the canopy cover for you know, potential frosts in and, and the winter. So we really do need to get on top of it, don't we? And we've seen that in the UK, you know, the, the trials that we had in the ground that weren't treated with fungicides, we lost canopy and we we had yield reductions of up to 40% on the back of it. And how important is it for growers to understand the diseases they have in their crop before they start a fungicide programme? I would always say it, you need to appreciate the challenges you've got there. So it is important to appreciate whether it's powdery mildew, rust, ramularia, succospora, or anything else. And that, and that is important because you need to target the disease. The thing about the fungicide programmes that we have in 2023, most of those uh, programmes are based around triazole and strobulurin mixes uh, and actually have broad spectrum activity, which in some ways is good news because you're not having to target individual diseases. So it's a matter of appreciating what you've got and then making sure as soon as you start to see disease development, regardless of the specific disease, and treat accordingly, but following the label recommendations, which is critical in this, in this process. So what have we actually got available for growers in this season? 
Uh, when it comes to 2023, I would encourage you all to get out your BBRO uh, guide that was issued earlier in the year. So the crop protection options for 2023. Although, as we know, as we go through seasons, things can change. And we'll hear a little bit more about that in a moment. But the the programs that are available, clearly we've got products like Angle and Priory Gold, which have azoxystrobin and diphenylconazole, which will give you good broad spectrum activity. Uh, against the classic diseases I've just described, and you have two applications of that. Remember, there's also uh, Caligula that became available last year, which has the triazole, uh, but also the uh, it was the first STHI for folate disease in fluoropyram. But you can only apply that once, and there is the 1st of September restriction on that, so you cannot apply it before that time period. We still have IMPACT, which is flutriafol uh, as a triazole uh, active ingredient, but it is only on the label for moderate sacospora and ramillaria control. It's not there for powdery mildew or rust. Uh, and then there are various sulfur products that are available, which will be more targeting powdery mildew, uh, but they're all on the list. But clearly, we work very closely with all the companies, you know, within BBRO trials are looking at existing uh, products for disease control, but we also look at new products that are coming to market. And it, it's quite exciting that uh, we do have a new product coming to market, and uh, that will give growers further options for disease control that they probably hadn't appreciated until this point uh, in the season. And Mark, we have done um, some of the trials for that uh, product, haven't we? So do you want to just tell us a little bit about what we've seen? Yeah, so we've, we've been looking at all sorts of different products in the pipeline, including the new one that you're about to hear. And, and it does give excellent disease control. Uh, and also on the back of that, maintaining the canopy right through the autumn and into winter to maximise photosynthetic capacity and sugar concentration uh, and early frost protection. But I'll, I'll hand over to Ian Ford now uh, and I'll let him bring you right up to speed with regard to uh, this new product. Right. So Ian, new kid on the block. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you for inviting me to join you today because I'm pleased to let everybody know that we now have approval for Revistar XE in sugar beet, uh, which we're really excited and pleased to have because as Mark has said, through the trials work that we've done with BBRO, we've been really pleased to see how it provides really strong disease control across all the diseases, plus that strong greening effect, which has led to increased yield. It's certainly a really strong addition to the fungicide portfolio and armory that growers will have this season. And obviously this is yeah, going to be new to sugar beet, but it's actually not a new product to the aquaculture industry, is it? That's right. It's been available for a number of seasons now in cereals, uh, and it's proven to be a really reliable and powerful product for disease control in wheat and barley. But having said that, we're also really pleased to see that during the trials work, we've noticed that both of the active ingredients in Rebisol, both the Zemium and the Rebisol, provide really strong disease control themselves. So Rebistar actually is a really well-balanced co-formulation that suits sugar beet just as much as it does cereals. And if we've got growers that have already got the Revistar in their armoury, can they just continue to use the product even though it's not on the current label? Yes, they can. 
and the product is now fully approved for use in sugar beet and will be available this season for use. But as you suggest, some product that's already in the supply chain may well still be carrying the old label. And whilst it won't actually say sugar beet on that label, growers are still uh, entirely legally able to use it, provided they just download the relevant approval from CRD's website. As new product comes in, obviously the new label will carry the sugar beet approval as well. And there's plenty of product out there for growers to access, I assume? There is, yes. There is a sufficient quantity for this year, um, but it's worth considering the, you know, the, the products and disease pressures that we have out there as to what products are chosen. It's going to be great news for sugar beet growers because we've done a, a lot of work of Sucosper and it has been one of those um, things that have flagged concern for us for the last couple of years and led really to us doing the Sucosper risk forecasting, which you've been leading, haven't you, Simon? That's right. Yes. Yes. So we usually start working, looking at data quite early in the season. We usually take it from the beginning of June, just so we can keep a very early eye on things. As Mark says, we really don't see problems coming until later in the season. But you never know with our weather. Sometimes just do you, um, you know, and, and certainly in the middle of June, we've had some very hot weathers followed by thunderstorms. And just to reiterate what Mark said, you know, Sucospora is probably the most aggressive of our our foliar diseases and uh, it is very much dependent on temperature and moisture and if you remember we we use a, a model based uh, out of America we've used it for two three seasons now uh, but we also use a series of infield networks as well and I'll perhaps pick up on those in a moment but we work with WeatherQuest which have that model and effectively looks at temperature and humidity and humidity is one of the key factors and obviously we look at the number of hours in a day when that humidity is above 90% and certainly when you're sitting at 20 degrees and you start those humidity hours begin to pick up certainly it's between 10 and 15 uh, that's when we get into the slight the higher risk and we calculate what we call a daily infection value a two-day value div and when it becomes more than six we know those conditions are conducive for sarcospora to develop and I'm going to stress that point it's a risk system identifying the situations which are conducive for sarcospora development is not a system which tells you to spray. And it's the, over two days because you know, a, a small period of humidity doesn't really have any effect, does it? Absolutely. It's that humidity uh, which is really important uh, and we monitor that. And, you know, and as crops, you know, certainly by July, we've all pulled together and got full canopies meeting across the rows. They begin to create that to microclimate within the canopy, which is why we like to have some sensors in the crop. And as well as measuring humidity, we also have a, a leaf wetness indicator. So it's basically a, an artificial leaf which can measure condensation events, uh, rain, uh, or even sometimes on a foggy day, you know, it will measure that. And obviously it's important because there is new research work saying actually leaf wetness is very closely related to development of disease as well. So it's really kind of belts and braces that we're monitoring uh, through a whole range of networked sites, but also have a series of uh, our in-cock canopies across the BBRO network as well. And we, we monitor those every, every day. And this is going across the whole of the beet growing area, isn't it? We've seen certain areas seem to be kind of more prone to get scoring high risks. We can actually focus messaging in those two areas because it's really important. We perhaps target fungicides rather than blanket spraying everything. And it is all about identifying risk. 
And I think the squares, it actually works out within like a five mile radius. Isn't right. it? So we can be quite accurate as to what's happening in the field. That's right. And, you know, we're learning it because this is our third season, isn't it, Jez? We begin to see certain coastal areas and I just think it's part of topography, but sometimes onshore, offshore breezes where you get the kind of sea fog or car, as I used to call it in Scotland, coming in. That, that can trigger it, of course. So it's something we learn. And there's certain other areas, certainly probably someone, sometimes low-lying areas, obviously where it can get very hot down on the black fen soil. So we, we can identify these areas. And it's all about identifying the risk. And remember, our message to you is the risk is high in your area. Well, I mean, it is. Go and check your crops for the very, very first signs of Socospora. And once we finish the aphid survey, this um, risk forecast will actually sort of take the place of that, certainly in front of our website. And so there'll be a daily update as to what we're seeing. Um, if there's a risk, we'll obviously highlight it to everybody. Uh, we'll have the maps in the advisory bulletin. And where we see major risk, we'll also do a text message direct to the growers in those areas, won't we? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Just to pick up on your point, Simon, about growers checking crops uh, as soon as they can, because in relation to both Revistar XE and all the other fungicides that are on the market, they're all protectant in activity. Um, so they need to be applied at the very first signs of disease to get the best results from them. Is it two spray programme with the Revistar? Yes, that's right, Ches. Revistar XE can be used twice uh, in the crop, up to a 28-day interval before harvest. And I know, Mark, you're always on about the, yeah, making sure you're tight on the intervals for any sprays. Again, would you recommend people to, to continue to check the crop? Oh, it's very important, Ches, to keep an eye on the crop as you go through the season. You know, as Ian's just touched on, you know, at the first sign of disease, then it's important to get sprays on for that protectant activity to minimise the disease control. But what we've found, and Simon and I have seen in recent years, is that uh, given the conditions that sometimes we're faced with, uh, if you are going with a programme approach and may need to apply two or three uh, fungicides, depending on the disease risk and also your harvest uh, potential plans, then you need to make sure that the second and or third spray that goes on is somewhere between 21 and 28 days. Because if you extend that period, there's great risk then you allow disease in without any protection and you can get some late infection, which can be, really start to take off. And again, if you start then spraying late, once that disease has managed to establish itself, you're going to be really fighting a losing cause. And we see that in BBRO trials historically, where we play with timings and sometimes we miss the second spray and goes to the T3 timing. So there's up to 40 days between sprays, if not slightly longer. And that really can cause some big issues. Uh, and then people then start to ask and challenge the value of the spray programme. But what we found is if you keep it tight, it will work. I think the other factor I'd like to make, again, when we're assessing risk, because it is all about risk assessment, is think about the varieties, of course. So obviously you'll all have copies of the RL list and on there you'll have ratings for the three diseases, rust, powdery mildew and sacospora. The scores are on a one to nine scale. So one means very high leaf infection, nine very low leaf infection. And if you just scan across on those different diseases, you'll find quite a variation, particularly 
in rust i think it the average is 5.7 but it ranges from 2.8 to 8.1 so clearly there are some varieties there you might need to watch a little bit more carefully similarly with parody mildew the average is five which is bang in the middle but again varieties range from 2.4 to 5.7 and and Socostra actually is probably less variable at the moment they're all quite a little bit susceptible the average is 6.5 and it ranges from 5.5 to 8.5 but there is a, a variety factor in which really needs to be put into the equation when you're thinking about spray intervals and again i will just reiterate the late harvesting one again because if you are going late harvesting probably a third a third spray might be required again uh, don't assume it let's not be formulaic about it let's assess it according to risk and we don't want to raise too much the way of concern but certainly um in america where they've not got on top of the sucospora early they're sometimes they're using sort of five six spray programs aren't they yeah, that's not unusual. And they may have some different and very aggressive strains we don't know, but that is something we're looking at. And again, probably probably just worth throwing into the equation because you may have seen this at some of our open days. We're trying to be a little bit smarter about our assessment of risk by actually introducing another level of monitoring, and that's measuring spore numbers in the air around crops. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time to get that data and unpick the relationships, but they also already do that in America. And that could be really useful again in actually identifying risk at, a, at even a high degree of accuracy, if you like, for us. Or we might just find spores everywhere. We don't know, but it's a, it's an approach I think we're very keen to do. And there's a lot of work going on in BBRO to look at that. We're obviously trying to our best to keep on top of the situation and we'll keep growers informed. But you mentioned just a little while ago about the RL and the traits that are there. It's worth just highlighting that because I would imagine the seed orders will be out some point over the summer. So what would you say to growers that are about to um, put in that their order for 2024? Well, depending on when the seed order comes out, if you have the opportunity, come to our beet field events in July, uh, where we will be on sites where we have the varieties all planted out. They do get protected with fungicides on those. They're not untreated trials, but we will be able to discuss the different varieties when have all the boards up showing their ratings for the different diseases. And I think, you know, if you have got crops which are going to have a range of harvest dates, you may want to factor in a variety disease rating, particularly for your later harvest crops as well. Well, but also give you some insight to you know where you are with your kind of total sugar beet crop and risk to foliar diseases particularly if you start choosing a lot of varieties which are more susceptible think about your variety choice in terms of your your seed order is really important and in the same way that we're planning ahead to manage the risks for people we need growers to take responsibility yeah. and, and plan ahead for themselves as well don't we yeah absolutely yes Right, so on that thought then, Simon, on uh, talk of seed orders and 2024, we'll just say thank you very much for your time, gents, and um, I hope to catch up with you later on in the year. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. Many thanks, Jess. As mentioned by Ian, Revistar for Sugar Beet is now available for use and will be officially launched in mid-July when the information will be available on the BBRO website as part of our updated Weed Pests and Diseases booklet. We hope some of you will be able to join us at our demo farms, which are running in July the 18th and the 20th. Again, details on our website and hopefully through your email box very shortly. And for those of you wanting basis points, I'm afraid we haven't received them yet for the July edition, but it means you'll have a double whammy in August. I hope Cereal Harvest goes well and I will speak to you soon. Thank you for listening.